the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. The sovereignty of God is part of the goodness of God. It's part of his character. Because if he's not sovereign, he's not good. Because he's made a lot of promises through prophecy. He's made a lot of covenants. He's promised salvation. And if he's not sovereign, if he can't bring it to pass, he's not good. So the sovereignty of God is essential to understanding the character of God. God causes all things that happen to the believer to work together for good. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past you've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues his study in Romans 8, entitled New Life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for your word. It is so clear and true and reliable and authoritative, and it corrects our misunderstandings. It gives us hope and encouragement for the future. It enables us to understand how to embrace the trials and the difficulties of this life. It it gives us everything we need to serve you, to follow you, and to glorify you, and to trust in you. Help us not just to be hearers, but to be doers of your word, to take what we read, internalize it, and put it into practice. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is entitled New Hope, New Certainty. It's part of the New Life series, which is the mini-series within the uh, book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, we're calling the New Life series. And the subtext here is new life, new peace, new security, because what we're going to study today will enable us to look at our hardships and our heartbreaks and our trials and our suffering, I think, differently through a different lens, from a different perspective. And I hope, I hope that you'll find it encouraging because what I want to talk to you about today is the basis of all hope in your suffering, the basis of, uh, of hope and your security and even your sanity when things in this life go wrong, whether they just go a little bit wrong or terribly wrong. I want you to understand the relationship between God's sovereignty and your suffering. 
today because that will enable you to, to look at the hardship that you're facing differently. Not too long ago, I had someone make an appointment to come see me in my office, and they, they came from another church, and occasionally that does happen, and they wanted to talk to me about my family's suffering. And that was kind of different because, you know, somebody coming from the outside, and they, they just said that, you know, they had heard about the accident, and they had heard about all we were going through, and they'd heard about the way that we were coping with everything over these last few years, and they wanted to talk to me about that. And so I met with them. And the first question that they asked me was, has there ever been a day, has there ever been a day where you did not sense God's presence? Has there ever been a day when you did not hear God's voice? And you know, I have never been asked that question before or since. And so I sort of stepped back and thought about what they had asked, and I had to answer uh, that there had been days where I didn't sense God's presence. There had been times where I didn't hear God's voice, and there were days that it really just stunk out loud. But through it all, I had to remember and to cling to what was true. And my feelings might deceive me, but But my knowledge of God, my understanding of His character and His purposes and His ways always were my source of comfort because I knew He was always there. I knew that nothing in this world, nothing in this momentary life happened by accident and that there was a purpose and a reason for all that we were experiencing from the very first day in the trauma unit to two years later, now going on two and a half years. And as I answered her question, I thought about what the Bible has to say about our suffering, and I shared that with her. And as it turns out, the passage that we're going to study today has to do with that. And so we're going to look in to uh, Romans 8, 28 to 39, and we want to understand uh, our experience, our suffering through the lens of Scripture. Uh, this is all about God's sovereignty, sanity, our sanity and security. I'm sorry, these are the wrong slides. I just noticed that. Um, So we'll just do the best we can. Um, Today's message is entitled New Life and New Certainty. So I just want to encourage you as you think about this that uh, there are two ways of looking at things. And in the Bible, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you have the under the sun perspective, which is what we see up close. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon sometimes observes how things just don't seem to make sense, how things just don't seem to add up, and there's just all this injustice and suffering in the world, and just what? And then he snaps out of it, and if you carefully read Ecclesiastes, he talks about the above-the-sun perspective, and, and that there is a purpose and a reason for everything. And he ends Ecclesiastes by saying, when all is said and done, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of every man, of every woman. Uh, When you read the book of Job, you understand that in every situation and circumstance that there are two perspectives. You have Job in real time, then and there, dealing with the tragedy in his life. And then you pull away to another venue, and it's God and Satan interacting, and God saying, have you considered my servant Job? And you see that there's something much larger than Job can perceive. Romans 8, 28 through 39 deals with this, touches on this. A lot of times we, we just see things on the surface and we fail to take the Word of God and connect it to our lives and connect all the dots. And that's what I want to try to begin for us to do today. 
Have you ever seen a swan swimming across majestically across the water? I mean, you have this big, huge bird, gorgeous, and he or she or it or whatever just kind of cruises along, and the water's peaceful and everything looks normal. But if you went underwater, what would you see? You'd see these big, ugly swan feet, right, going to town, making that bird go forward. And that's kind of an upside-down picture of the suffering and the hardship in our life and what's going on from the above-the-sun perspective. We only see the tip of the iceberg. We don't see all that goes on beneath it. And speaking of icebergs, how many of you have seen an iceberg before in person? Okay. Well, in case you haven't, here's a picture of an iceberg. And what you can see here and what statistically is true of icebergs, because I spent some time looking into this, is we only see 10% of the average iceberg, whatever an average iceberg is. And so 90% of the iceberg is out of sight. And that's the way it is with our suffering. That's the way it is with our salvation even. We don't see everything that is going on, all the purposes. The largest iceberg on record is B-15. If you've never heard of it, that's okay. I hadn't either before last week. And B-15, when they were flying over it and spotted it in a plane, above the surface it was 550, 550 feet tall. And as they began to examine this thing, because it would, it would you know, represent somewhat of a threat to shipping and things, they figured out that it was about 4,500 feet underwater, and all told, it was the size of Connecticut. It, it was bigger than the island of Jamaica, and it broke off from Antarctica in 2000 and wound up south of uh, New Zealand in about 2006. Then it was only about 150 square miles. It had started out being 4,300 square miles. Well, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through suffering, when stuff is happening to you and to me, that's the way we just see what's going on in front of us. And we sometimes forget to think about what is God doing in this. Today's passage, I hope, will help you think about not only the tip of the iceberg that is your suffering, but everything else that's going on with it too. So that you can know the purp- that your suffering is never wasted, it has a purpose, and that God is involved in every detail of your suffering. So let's look in our Bibles in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 39, and think about the whole iceberg here. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What shall, then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who then is to condemn? Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, and we know, I am sure, that neither 
death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Today, I want you to understand how new life in Christ means you have a new sense of peace and a new security. New life means new certainty. And what we have here in our text is everything beneath the surface of the iceberg that is your suffering, even that is your salvation. I believe this passage is key to us understanding a number of things about God in terms of His character and His power and His nature, as well as our faith, as well as our salvation, and also we'll be able through this passage to make sense of our suffering. Our passage is about the key aspects of our new life in Christ. This passage is about some of the outworkings of life in Christ. And within the confines of this passage, we find great hope because God is with us and He never abandons us nor forsakes us. He never loses track of us no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is happening to us. And today, I want you to understand the relationship between the sovereignty of God and your suffering because this passage is just as much about the sovereignty of God and your suffering. And today, we're going to explore or begin to explore three concepts And the first concept is we understand the relationship between God's sovereignty and your suffering. The second concept is to see the relationship between God's sovereignty and your security. And the third concept is to grasp the relationship between God's sovereignty and your certainty. So let's start with concept number one. Understand the relationship between God's sovereignty and your suffering. And to do that, we're going to look at Romans 8, 28 to 30. Where is that connection made? It's made right here. And we know, notice it doesn't say, and we hope, or we think, or maybe. And we know, the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, all things work together for good. For who? For those who are called according to His purpose. Those who love God are those called according to His purpose. Verse 29, because... Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what does it mean here? When I say the sovereignty of God, what does that mean? Well, in this verse, it means that in everything that is taking place in your life, in virtually every way, all things that are happening to you, God is engaged, God is involved. He's involved in all the affairs of the universe, in all the affairs of humanity, in all the affairs of men, in all the affairs of women. Nothing happens that he does not call, that he does not cause or foreordain or bring to pass. The sovereignty of God is part of the goodness of God. It's part of his character. Because if he's not sovereign, he's not good. Because he's made a lot of promises through prophecy. He's made a lot of covenants. He's promised salvation. And if he's not sovereign, if he can't bring it to pass, he's not good. So the sovereignty of God is essential to understanding the character of God. God causes all things that happen to the believer to work together for good. In Romans 8.28, there is a better translation than the English Standard Version in this, and it is New American Standard. Uh, it, it, it's more faithful to the original language in this passage. And I want you to look at how His sovereignty shows up. And we know 
that God causes. It doesn't come through as clear in the previous translation. But here it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. And for the Christ follower who is suffering, who is suffering hardship or heartbreak or, 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 or their life is just upended by whatever case, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, we see here cause for hope, cause for sanity, cause for stability, because we know that God causes all things to work together for good for the believer. Where is the believer there? Those who love God and those who love God are those who God called according to his purpose. So you have this dual description here. God causes all things to work together for good for the believer. And that is very good news indeed. It means that nothing that is happening to you is by accident. Even the bad things that are happening to you work together for good in kind of a James chapter 1 way. Remember James chapter 1? Count it all joy whenever you encounter various and sundry trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfecting work, its completing work, leaving you adequate and complete, equipped, lacking in nothing. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Even the bad things. How do we know that? We know that also because there is a parallel passage to Romans 8, 28 in the book of Genesis. Genesis 50, verse 20. Look with me at Genesis 50, verse 20. What does it say? Let me set this up for you. You know the story of Joseph. Most of you do. You know, his brothers were jealous of him because his father showed him partiality, and probably Joseph as a young man wasn't handling it very maturely either. And so his brothers threw him into a well and then sold him into slavery. He was carried off by slave traders into Egypt. There he was sold to Potiphar, a government official serving under Pharaoh. And he worked hard for Potiphar and and was starting to make some headway. And then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And when he refused her, she accused him of trying to rape her. And they threw him into prison. But anyway, as it all works out in the end, Joseph ends up going from the prison to the palace. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt after Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt. And this famine hits and people are starving and it drives his old family who he's been cut off from for 20-something years. They come to Egypt to buy grain and he and they are reunited. And I, I'm not going to walk you through the whole story. But the brothers who sold him into slavery were afraid he was going to kill them seeking retribution, which brings us to Genesis 50, verse 20. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now watch what he says here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Even the things, the evil things that people try to do to you, God uses for good persecution in the workplace, marginalization in the classroom, in the academy, wherever you are. God uses these things. To what end? How do we know there's a purpose? Look at verse 29 in Romans 8. Is there a purpose? We see the purpose for all of our suffering, for everything that happens to us in this life, good, bad, or indifferent. Verse 28, uh, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
What's going on here? God uses suffering and hardship to equip us to prepare us for greater and greater works of service. We should not panic when difficulty comes our way because there are at least two purposes for everything that happens to us. The first is to conform us to the image of Christ to make us more like Jesus and less like ourselves. We call that spiritual growth or we call that sanctification. And so all these things work together for good. The second purpose is to use us to bring glory to Christ, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. What does that mean? Well, Christ died. He rose again. He was the first of the resurrection, you might say. And through him, because of him, we point people to him and that he represents the first fruit of people being redeemed. That's what's going on there. So we do what we do and what happens to us for the glory of God, for the good of others, and of course, for our own spiritual growth to equip us for greater works of service. And you sort of see this If you think back and if you've been with us for the study, in the wider context of what we've been reading, you know, we started in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God to all who are in Rome, who are beloved by God, called to be saints, those whom God loves, those whom God called according to his purposes. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. What's happening to you isn't because you're condemned. You're, you've been placed into the family. You are in Christ. You are in the kingdom. You are in the family. You call him Abba, Father. And then in verses 16 through 18, we see this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are in the kingdom. Children, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see this reference, this understanding. You're going to suffer if you follow Christ. And you're going to be glorified with him as the, he's the first fruit of many brethren and we are those who follow and the people that we introduce to Christ follow us. And look at verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And then you come to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that for the purpose of he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so we suffer. You know, a teacher is not above his, a student is not above his teacher, a slave his master. We serve a suffering savior. We're going to suffer. Christian means little Christ. We deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him, and we suffer, but not senselessly and not purposelessly because God is at work. You know, sometimes we don't even know what's happening to us because we're at the tip of the iceberg and there's this whole big 4,300 square mile something going on around us in redemptive history that we're a part of. So we're being conformed to the image of his son. And like Joseph, maybe one day, We can look back over our shoulder at the hand of God's providence and sovereignty and make sense of it. Or maybe like Job, we never do. But you know, Job, if you read the book of Job, you know that his suffering was for our benefit because we learned a lot about suffering and the mysteries of God in our suffering. There are some things we'll just never understand. So understand the relationship between God's sovereignty and your suffering. He causes all things, not some things, to work together for good. There is a purpose and a reason. There is no randomness in God's economy. There is purpose there. So, so what do you do with this? We're going to do sort of a pay-as-you-go application today. So what do you do with that? What do you do with the realization that all things work together for good, that you're being conformed to the image of His Son, that you're bringing glory to God even in the midst of your suffering? Well, first, number one, 
when stuff happens, when suffering comes, no matter how crazy things seem, no matter how random this world seems to be, find comfort in the fact that God is in control, that God is always there, that all things work together for good, and that He has a purpose. First, He's conforming you to the image of His Son, and second, He's bringing glory to His Son and bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.